I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Hello and welcome to the Fried Egg Podcast. My name is Garrett Morrison, and today we have a special episode for you all about Augusta National and the Masters, specifically about the spectating experience at Augusta National. And I think that we're going to revolve our discussion a little bit around sort of the first time experience. If you haven't been there before and you're going, this is a set of recommendations and ideas for that. And to help me with this, I have three guests today. This is an unusual format for the Fried Egg Podcast. So we have Andy Johnson, the founder of the Fried Egg. We have uh, Brendan Porath, who is Andy Johnson's co-host on the Shotgun Start Podcast and the most recent employee of the Fried Egg, which we're very uh, excited about. We're not big on title. There's no title. Yeah. So have we, we haven't decided on a title at all for Brendan then, huh? Uh, employee works. I was thinking like managing, managing director, emeritus. I don't know. Anything you want to throw. I'm managing editor and Brendan's coming in here and trying to claim managing director emeritus. Errand boy. Errand there we boy. Go. Okay. Um, all right. And then finally, we have Michael Wolf with us. Michael Wolf, who may be better known as Bama Bearcat on Twitter is a golf history savant and uh, in particular somebody who knows a lot about the history of the masters and Augusta national. Um, so very excited to have Michael Wolf with us today. I was excited too, until I just learned that I'm the only person in this room right now, not like it's not getting paid for this. <laughs> this is already going off the rails. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll figure out the payment later. Maybe, maybe there'll be uh, some dinner tonight or something like that. I mean, who okay. knows? Maybe you'll get payment for, you know, from something else. Somebody maybe some hears, delicious hears Eli Elijah and... Craig bourbon. Who knows? You already got a sip of that. That seems like enough people would do that for the sip of bourbon. It's so good. I'm well, thank you for yeah, working yeah. in the, the sponsor of the episode, Michael. That's very professional of you. So our basic idea here today is to go through some recommendations for the experience at Augusta National. Um, and those recommendations can be whatever you guys want, essentially. And then at the end of the podcast, we'll talk about our favorite spots at Augusta. So that's the basic idea. Why don't we start with Michael? Michael, what is your number one recommendation for somebody who's going to go be a spectator at Augusta National? Sure. So um, the Masters, like they do with everything, they've got a great website. Um, and if you click on spectator information, it'll give you tips on how to get here and how to park and everything. The first tip would be to follow those directions. This is not a place where you're going to outsmart them. They've been doing this for a long time. Um, use the parking. It's free. It's well organized. Um, just trust the process. Don't try to get fancy and, and work around it. So I would say the first thing is parking. Um, but then the most important part, I would say, of that tip is um, you're going to see big signs when you get in the parking that say, leave your phone in the car. That's very unusual for most of us these days. And it takes a little thinking if you are with a group of people and particularly if you're not all arriving at the same time. So the first thing, first and foremost, everybody needs to know what each other's phone numbers are. 
We, we don't know everybody's phone numbers anymore, but if you don't have your phone and you got to contact them down the line um, and you don't, you don't have your contacts to look up. So you got to know what people's phone numbers are. So write down whoever you're with and you got to get a hold of them, what their phone numbers are. And then because their phone's, uh, phone's out on the course to call, you're going to need, and then you're going to need a coordinator. So you're going to need to figure out whether it's somebody's cell phone or somebody's answering machine or somebody's friend who's at home and not with everybody, somebody that everybody can call from the course if there's a rain delay or whatever that can tell you where everybody else is or just messages that everybody can access. I, you're going to, you sound like you're making this out to be, you know, like a, uh, this sounds like a chore. I, I might, you know, I might turn down the masters. At this <laughs> well, and then the simplest then is also a place to meet. So if everybody hasn't been before, you may not know where to go to meet. You got to establish, okay, if we get lost or if one person wants to go to the merchandise tent or if just two cars are arriving with groups of people from different parts of the country at different times, where are we going to meet up? Um, this you, is, this you, you is gotta so figure that important. Out. It's important because you can't text each other when you get there. So you got to have a spot and it's going to be crowded. So you got to be very specific in where to meet. You can't just say, let's meet on the 12th hole. You got to say, we're going to meet in front of the beer only line in the concession stand. But it, what behind if you haven't the been there? Hole. Here's the thing. What right. if you haven't been there? So I'm going to give you a couple places right now where everybody can meet. And uh, the other thing about it is I, I can't stress this enough. Everybody. Oh, let's meet up. Oh, let's meet up. Oh, in, in, in this this is the hardest part about going to the masters is meeting up with people yes. and different parties. This yes. is, this is, you know, in, in somewhat essential because people arrive at different times like you and, like, and adding to the degree of difficulty, every single person who comes to uh, watch the masters dresses alike. <laughs> Everybody is wearing the same khaki shorts or Navy blue pants uh, and the same great be dratty golf shirt. So, um, Oh, oh wow. You, another you sponsor. A, yeah. Oh my goodness. I was eight. expecting I a non-branded quarter zip or something. Spot. And then last but not least, if you're going to meet someplace and you're green on a time, you got to be wearing a watch <laughs> because if you're like me and you just look at your phone for the time and your phone is in your car, that ain't going to help. So everybody's got to have a watch and everybody's got to have a plan for where you're meeting and when. And you got to be as specific as possible because there's going to be a thousand other people in that same spot. And they're all going to be wearing khaki shorts and a white golf shirt. And you got to be cushioned. You got to have cushion on the time. So if they say 1030, you got to nobody, you know, you wait till 1040 and, you know, be specific, pick out a few landmarks. Uh, it is. It's very hard. Plan it all in advance, you know, and have those numbers because there are phones on the course. This is like a set of skills that people don't have anymore. And so that that's it's it's really funny how when you go there it's almost like a, an elementary school field trip. I'll tell you what though, it is liberating. I was uh, I was riding the media. We we get like a shuttle from the the press center. It's the press shuttle, I guess. The press center to the to the course. It's it's a ways away. You know, it's at the end of the range. So you know, and I'm sitting on the back of this cart. And some uh, nice lady that was that was uh, she she we stopped to drop somebody at the range and she's like, God, you look so relaxed. And I go, you know, I'm not walking around with a bundle of anxiety in my pocket. You know, (laughs) this is this is delightful. I, I knew at that point when I left, it's like I'm just out here, you know, and I think that's one of the great things. But I don't have a watch. I didn't bring one. I have one, but I didn't bring one because I'm an idiot. But that also has allowed me a little bit more freedom. But you know, the uh, this is this is a it's a great you know everybody hates it, but once you're out there, the way you take in everything, it really adds to the experience. Well, it makes you think 
how many other opportunities we should take to separate ourselves from our phones. And it makes you wish that there were more kind of required moments to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would, I think it heightens your senses overall, right? You're not looking at your phone. You're just not looking, you're not scrolling your phone the whole time. It heightens your senses. It heightens your awareness of the course of what's happening in front of you, of the people you're with. Um, I, I'd add to Andy's segment, uh, sentiment about liberating because like there are just meetups that aren't going to happen. It's kind of great, right? You know that there are people in town that theoretically you probably would have to meet up with or might meet up with if you had all of your phones out there, right? And it's just like you go in there and it's like, well, that's not going to happen. I know they're here. We talked about it. It's just not going to happen. We didn't set it up. And so it's liberating in that way that it kind of shrinks the circle, if that's right. Uh, you know, and maybe that's antisocial in a way, but it, it just sort of shrinks the, the, the sort of distraction and it heightens your, your senses of everything else. The one thing I will say, though, about that is like meetups don't happen, but then organically things do happen because of the nature of the golf course. It's 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 an ex this this huge property. Everybody's in awe of this massive, seemingly massive property, but it's really small. It's really packed together. You wrote a great article about the art of the roars a few years ago. And what the art of the roars is, is that there are greens that are super close. They're all the greens are packed together. They're jammed together. That's why it gets so loud. And that's one of the great things about it is that you might, you, you have best intentions to meet people and things fall through and you talk about it. And there's a good likelihood that you run into that, that person because it's just like kind of quaint and intimate in a way that, well, this helps me understand why the big tree is so important. Oh, the big trees. Not everybody could get to the big tree, and the big tree is like the the ultimate. Uh, the st- yeah, yeah. It, it's, but it's it's the easy if if you it makes meeting at the big tree super easy. Michael, let's get to your your meeting spots. Okay, so you want to the, everything around the clubhouse is kind of it's a madhouse. Um, there's just a lot of people coming and going. Obviously, the first tee's there, the tenth tee's there. That's where the players are coming out. If you can avoid meeting at the clubhouse, try to avoid it. If it's unavoidable to meet at the clubhouse, okay, and, and you've never been there before, then the, then the spot that you're going to want to meet at, which is in that area, is what everyone would refer to as the big scoreboard. And the big scoreboard is to the right of the first tee, okay? So it's right when you walk on the property, and it it's not the big scoreboard that you see on the 18th green. It's This is a scoreboard. It's, it's on the right-hand side of the first fairway, and it's kind of close to the merchandise and the food and everything. And there's kind of a picnic area. But but it's called the big scoreboard because it literally has every score for every hole for every player. So it's got the entire field on a scoreboard. And they record the scores like old-fashioned, you know, box by box for, for everyone that's in the field. And it's far enough away from the crowds that if you have to meet in that area, then that's the spot to meet at. The other place that I like to meet at that I think is good um, I try. I would try to avoid 12, 13. It's just too crowded. But a, a nice tee box where you'll be able to find your friends right away and see them, and they'll be able to see you because it's just never that crowded, is there's a spot behind the fourth tee um, where you can meet friends, and that also has the advantage of you can see a lot that's going on in that area. So there's a, there's a spot. It's kind of hard to get to, but it's up on a hill, and you'll be able to see your friends, and they'll be able to spot you from a while away, and there's never anybody up there. So I would say big scoreboard to the right of the first tee, if you're on that side of the property, if you're on the other side of the property, 
Um, my personal favorite is right behind the fourth tee. Gotcha. Yeah. I, one other one I do is seven behind seven green. There's a great hill and a big lawn. And if you, there's a scoreboard there that's big and you could just stand like and lean against the store scoreboard if you wanted. And it makes meeting really easy. Like we're going to meet at the base of the scoreboard behind seven green. And that's like a center point of the course. Like you could literally go, you go to, you know, amen corner quickly, you go to 16, you go to 10, 11, like you could just go a bunch of different directions from seven. I'd say that's a great spot. And it's right next to two green too, right? Two green, 17 green is nearby. Jeff Ogilvie refers to this as the sweet spot of Augusta national, partly because of what Brendan just said, you can get to other parts of the property pretty quickly from there. Yeah, you can get to Amon Corner really quick. Like you're basically right at 11. You're right at 10 green. You're right at 18 T. It's it's a it's a wonderful little spot. You're close to 15. Um, so yeah, that's that's another great meeting spot. Anything else on logistics? Uh, so last but not least, the Masters is held every year but one. It's always held the first week of April. In this part of the country, the first week of April, you're going to get thunderstorms. It's pretty rare that you get a whole Masters week where there isn't at least one day where there's weather. The same thing with the no phones. If there's weather, they make you leave the course. There's nowhere to go on the property um, for the spectators. There's nowhere to shelter under. They physically make you empty out when they blow the siren. Everybody's got to remember where the car is. Okay, so you got to remember how to get back to where the car is parked, and you got to have a plan of where you know that we're all headed to which car um so that everybody knows where the heck everybody is because it it you know the blowing the horn 30,000 people are all headed in the same direction at the same time so uh when you get out of your car in the morning make a mental note of where uh you're parked all right so why don't we go to Brendan and get his main recommendation okay my top 20 items in the merch tent you have to buy <laughs> are um no no i i mean i understand the appeal of the merch tent i understand why people go uh i'd say once you've done it i might not i it's a lot it's a lot of time and a lot of drama i saw people yesterday um saw people yesterday they let we knew the storms were coming at noon and they let i saw people run in at eight spend probably a thousand dollars in merchandise and run back out to their cars because you can go in twice right every badge can be scanned twice and drop that off and go back and we had four hours and they burned like an hour and a half of that, you know, taking the merch out to their car. It's just like, I, I don't know if that's always the best time, you know, best spent, but I understand why people do it, given that it's exclusive to, uh, to the property. Um, one recommendation I would have, and I, maybe I'm being a negative Nancy or whatever the term would be, is I wouldn't spend a preponderance of time in Amen Corner. Uh, I don't think it's a great viewing experience. I understand you need to go see it. If it's your one visit, it's your first visit. Of course, I'm not discouraging you from going to see it. Uh, it's far away. You can't see the ball. You can't see the ball real well on 12. Obviously, you can't see much of 13. You don't get real close. I mean, the closest you get is the corner, right? The elbow up at the top of 13. Great spot. It's a good spot. But I, as far as like, Going deep down into Amen Corner, it's very crowded. It's a social scene. I think I once wrote an article like the five senses of Amen Corner, right? It's like cigar smoke and sundresses and all these <laughs> different, like all your senses get, you really get overwhelmed with all the different Augusta National uh, feels. I, I just don't think you need to spend a lot of time down there. I, I, it's not great for watching the golf, in my opinion. I know it's the most famous part three in the world and all that stuff. Uh, I just think it's far away for watching the golf. 
Yeah, every hole, 11, your distance. You're, you can't get close to 11. 12, you can, you're, you can be close to the tee, but there's a lot of people there. And then 13, you're set back way far away. The only spot I'll say is that, and it's usually not very crowded, surprisingly, I think people don't know you can go back there because of how roped off you are through that section. But if you cross 14 and then go down into the corner, you can get like right down on the corner of the azaleas and you have this beautiful view of the green. You're really close to the green there and you get to see that topography going back. And, and, and it's, it's, it, that's a great spot. But like Brendan said, it, it's, not the, it's great to see but it's not necessarily where I would spend a ton of time. So you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't post up at 12, right? But it sounds like there are maybe a couple of good spots that are sort of on the perimeter of amen corner, right? If you, if you go to 13 green, there's sort of a route of escape to the rest of the course, right? You're not like deep in there, but I guess you would recommend at least going to see the holes, just not necessarily planning to spend an entire afternoon there. I would walk it. Yes, I would walk Amen Corner. What I see sometimes happening quite often is people just posting up in this social scene, this party, this sort of field party in the spot that, you know, below the grandstands, because it is pretty open. It's a, a bit of an expanse there where a lot of people can congregate. Um, it's not like a, there's not a huge chair area like there might be on 16. That's So I just see that happening a lot. And I just wouldn't spend an hour and a half or an hour even watching shots on 12. I would just walk the holes, maybe spend some time on 13, like Andy, Andy said. This episode of the fried egg podcast invites you to discover the greatness within Elijah Craig, small batch. Elijah Craig bourbon never settles for less than the best. Every bottle of their award-winning small batch carries a signature warm spice and subtle smoke flavor. It is exceptionally smooth and well-balanced I like to drink it on the rocks. I'm a pretty simple guy that way, but I just like the cool bite of a chilled drink combined with the warmth of the bourbon flavor. I get complex aromas of vanilla beans, sweet fruit, and fresh mint. The palate is pleasantly woody with accents of spice, smoke, and nutmeg. Elijah Craig won double gold at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition last year and the Tried and True Award from the Ultimate Spirits Challenge in 2020. Pick up a bottle today or order online at drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com. And save $5 on a bottle of Elijah Craig delivered right to your door with code FRIEDEGG5. That's fried egg and the number five, all one word. The Fried Egg is brought to you by Elijah Craig Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, Bardstown, Kentucky. 47% alcohol by volume. Elijah Craig reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Excellent. Let's get Andy's recommendation. Yeah, I, I mine centers around the course and how you go about navigating the course. And everybody obviously has watched this event for years and years before they, they go. And, and it's always like, what should we pay attention to? Obviously, the greens at Augusta are what you want to see. And I think there's no better way to take in a golf course and understand the way the greens relate to the rest of the golf course than walking it backwards. You start on 18 green and go backwards. Everybody walks one direction and it's like around it, right? 
start on the 18th green and go around. And one of the things you can do on almost every green out there is you can walk. You can't walk in front of it, but you can walk from the edge of almost every green, excluding Amen Corner, all the way around the green. And you can really like just see the whole green and and take that in. If you want to go see the golf course, this is the way I would do it. Start on 18 green, walk around. And especially if you're there early, what you're doing, you're going to get like this wonderful walk, like right out of the gate where there's no people because you're there early and you're on holes that golfers aren't on. And this is a wonderful way to see the golf course. Walk around the green and then walk back. And the thing you do while you're walking back, kind of take in, you're taking in the topography, but then you can always look back and understand how everything relates back to the green that that really is driving everything back. So everybody thinks, oh, I got to walk it the way I'd play it. But if you really want to understand the golf holes, the best way to walk it, for if you're walking at one time, is walk it backwards. And this is kind of a, a manifestation of an architectural principle, which is that in order to understand a golf hole, the best thing that you can do is to understand the green first and then see the rest of the hole and how it relates to it. And so I guess that walking Augusta National in this way is like the easiest way to wrap your mind around the golf course. Yeah, this was the way I walked it the first time I walked it. And it really like, I think like there's certain holes that just stand out so much when you do it this way. Like 14 is utterly amazing when you walk it this way. The first time I, I remember just like being mesmerized by that green and especially taking the time to walk all the way around it and then going back and understanding how the contour works and the fairway against the green and how difficult that shot becomes because of what's going on in the fairway because I understood the green other way otherwise you're like looking at the tee shot and you don't know what's going on at the green and you know it's like oh this is a tee shot but if you understand what's going on in the green, then that tee shot, every shot backwards has so much more context to it. That's brilliant. I mean, that's brilliant the way you put that. It, like, it just Then you get to the spot, the fairway, right? And you're thinking about what you just saw at the green. I would just say while we're on 14, like obviously it gets lost in the shuffle, right? Andy's written about it. I, I would recommend that as like a spot to post it's, up, quite honestly, beca- because like every time I go there, it's just quiet. It's dead because on the left side of the hole, there's a lot of traffic comes up the left side, um, but it dead ends on the left side. You can't get to the green. So that like cuts off a lot of like would be congregation and traffic, makes it a little more quiet and accessible. It's like having a house at the end of a cul-de-sac. Yeah, potentially, <laughs> potentially. Yeah. And then like on the other side where there's a grandstand. Everybody's worried about like 11 and getting to 15 or getting down to Amen Corner. It just kind of is right there where everybody else is like missing it, right? They're going other places and there's grandstand uh, right of the green. If you're hitting into the green, I would really recommend like I think you can get pretty close there because so many people end up on that left side and it cuts off. It like bends you back up 15 fairway and they don't get close. I I would. There's a cool grandstand you could sit in just right of the green there too. If you, if you just like, it's an awesome, you know, I think there's this overwhelming, like you're going to spend a whole day there. It's a lot of time. Um, and you want some downtime built in. And if you were looking for somewhere that maybe might not be that crowded to just get some, some chill, relaxed time in your day, that's a great spot to go 
you know, sit down. And it's a, it's a really cool hole to watch too, because you get a lot of that, uh, the ingredients of Augusta national, you get this vicious green that has funnel pins and unpinnable slopes that, that reject mediocre shots away. And, and, and that's, it's a great hole to watch. Cool. Okay. So that's good for the recommendations. And just to sum up, Michael recommended kind of getting organized from a logistical perspective, you know, keeping in mind that you don't have the phone out there to assist you in finding people and and doing various things. And so having some planning helps. Uh, Andy recommended walking the course backwards in order to really understand the architecture. And Brendan gave the suggestion suggestion of kind of avoiding camping out at Amen Corner because there's so much else to see. Also recommended sort of avoiding the merch tent. So there there are a couple of places kind of to stay away from uh, if you're going to believe Brendan here. And and I would trust both of those uh, recommendations. They sound reasonable enough to me. I mean, I, I would just add, like, I, I don't want to sound like preachy or authoritative. <laughs> like, I'm not discouraging you to go to the, not go to the merch tent or not go to the Amen Corner. Well, yeah, like, do, of course. Do what like, makes you happy, of course. But but these are these are based on experiences. These are recommendations. Yeah, based we've done it several times. Trying to be helpful based on our experience, like you said. I, I don't want to come off as uh, some authority. I don't think you came off that way, um, in in my opinion. So why don't we go to our favorite spots at Augusta National? Michael Wolf, what would you choose here? I know it's difficult. Sure. So um, my recommendation is going to be for once the tournament starts. Okay, I like to, um, if, if you get a pass to the beginning of the week or it's the first time you've ever been to Augusta, um, I definitely uh, agree. You want to see all 18 holes, walk them backwards, the things that Andy covered. Once the tournament starts, I'm interested kind of in the drama, in the players in particular. You know, I watch these guys on TV every week, but this is a chance to see them at the event that means the most to them. And I want to be as up close and kind of be able to, you know, get as close and, and hear those conversations and just kind of see um, in their faces, what's going on. And I think a really good spot for that. Again, I'm going to go back to kind of the little triangle between, um, between the second shot on two. So, so the, the right hand of the second fairway. And from there, you can also see them coming back up to three green, which I think most people know is a, is a, almost a drivable par four, but it creates a lot of action. There's, you know, uh, things can go horribly wrong there. You occasionally see an eagle, you see birdies, you know, it's, it's, it's a gambling hole depending on what guys want to do. And then the fourth hole, probably the hardest shot on the course, uh, when the tee's all the way back, you're talking about a 250 yard par three. Um, it's, it's, you know, really tough in, in, it, it gives you the sense once the tournament starts and they're playing for keeps that kind of they, the players themselves know they're going to push it hard on two. There's a real opportunity there. I think you see more Eagles on, on two than any other hole a lot of years. Um, and you can see a really good perspective. You're behind them. If you're standing to that right-hand side of, of two behind four T you kind of see them shooting down the hill and they're being aggressive there. Same thing. You kind of see the story develop. You see who hit a good shot on two. Did they end up making the putt? You can, you can see all that from where you're standing. You don't even have to move. And then they turn right back around and come up three. And again, they're probably going to be aggressive there. It's interesting as the players walk off of the third green and they're walking right to you and, and, and they're looking almost right at you as they come up to the back of the fourth tee box. And there's guys that are, you know, three under after the first three holes and they're excited and there's guys that are they're one over after three, and they know they just missed two good birdie chances, and now they're facing a really really tough hole on number four to make a, a four on. You can almost see like 
the dread of like, oh man, I, I didn't, I didn't take advantage of those easy ones. And now I got to get to work. And I just like that seeing that drama up front, you know, you don't get to see that on television. The camera doesn't stay on a guy for 45 minutes straight. Whereas in that little section without having to move more than about 20 feet, you can watch all three of those shots and kind of get an idea of, of what kind of start the players off to and what, what, how he's feeling about it. Just a quick supplement to that is do not get caught going up the left side at three. I see this happen all the time. You can't see anything. You're way below the green. You're seeing guys chip. You have no idea where the ball is going. Like it's a sweet hole. It's a cool hole. You'll probably be close to where the guys are, are wedging up to. But like three, I see a lot of people. If you're going up the left side at three, Bryson's ball down yeah, he might find Bryson's <laughs> lost ball down there. But just if you're going up the left side of three, this is super specific. No, you got to get up around the green to the back to, to the right side. Yeah, the high side. Back yeah, by and, and that's the the key. Uh, one of the keys at Augusta, I think, in general, uh, I, I guess I could parlay this is to into mine is finding high points where you can see a lot of shots. And, and w- the point that Michael made there is that spot is great because you're up high. And everything you're looking at is down, so you're able to see so much more, right? It's, it's um, in a way, kind of like the stadium course at Sawgrass where they have those amphitheaters. Augustus Hills creates some really great spectating spots, and a lot of times what happens is the congregation of people is lower in the in near the greens, and if you stay up higher, that's, uh, that's a, a really good way to do it. Um, so I... I, I the spot I called out earlier, I love the that what uh, I forgot what Jeff Ogilvy called the it. The sweet spot of Augusta National. The sweet yeah. spot. So that's another spot. Uh, if you're on that hill, you can watch two green. It's uh, it's where this big scoreboard is. You can see some of seven, and but then you can also watch that tee shot on three, which is really cool. And then you see them back up on the on the green. You're close to seventeen green. You you can bounce around and you can kind of. It's a good spot. I, you know, I have ADD, so I kind of like to like, I I get kind of jittery when I'm standing around one spot. I like to move around. Uh, I'm not just like a a sitter, right? Um, So that's a spot. But if I was sitting one spot, if I'm sitting, if you want to go into into the heart of the action, you want to see the drama, the left side. If you can get there, the left side of the grandstand left of 16T is spectacular because you can see the shots in from 15 and you can see the tee shots on 16. And that can be a real scintillating spot in terms of drama and action and a wonderful place to just sit, you know. Can I, can I, can I make, you talked about the sweet spot. Yeah, 16 is fantastic. But you talked about that sweet spot. Can I make a spectator's argument? And I know there's an architectural sort of uh, argument against for watching as a spectator, I think watching approach shots into seven is not bad. I think seven's pretty great. Being sitting behind seven is I know there the hole is, is panned. It's kind of the number one option when people start talking about not superb holes out there. I'd say as a spectator, it's pretty kind of it's kind of great to stand behind seven green. It's the high point in the middle of the property sure. too. So it, again, it affords you if you're behind seven green, which there's a lot of space right there. Again, you can see three T and two green and two fairway. So it's a great, yeah, eight, 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 eight T and 18 T. And, and it's kind of a fun, dramatic green too. I mean, the architectural argument against seven is, is mainly that the, 
the hole doesn't really match up with the green that well. It's just this long, really narrow hole choked by trees. And then you're hitting into this green that doesn't seem to to match with that distance of hole. But the green itself, I mean, seeing the shots go in there is always a dramatic moment. You know, the, the ball really rolls there and the Sunday pin there is is cool. So, uh, I mean, staying up by the green, you get to see the good stuff at that hole. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love it. I just I remember watching like Tony Finau thread a shot like in between the bunkers, like complete miracle shot. And then, of course, you get so many where they they throw them up and kind of suck them back to a front pin. It's just it's just a fun, dramatic as a spectator. It's, it's kind of a dramatic uh, play to watch every, every every time groups come through. All right. So have we gone through all the all the favorite spots at this point? Andy gave his Brendan is seven yours or did you have another in mind? It, it was one of them. I would add. I mean, this is not nothing you know, you need, you know, unexpected nine green, you know, just standing to the right side of nine green is awesome. It's a great approach shot to watch you. It's another like high point, as Andy would say, it's, it gets a little, it's a high traffic spot. Of course, you've got the first and you got the 18th green behind you. Uh, but, but just spending a little time there watching those tee shots, you're going to see amazing uh, uh, approach shots. You see great approach shots. You have to see some great short game or poor short game, uh, recoveries. You're going to see some amazing lag putts it's just a really cool place to see a lot of different skills and you're at a high point i mean maybe you maybe you can you can look down to two green across the way there it's not you're not gonna be close or anything like that but in terms of uh you know seeing a real a real sort of display of of augusta national at its best i think that's a great place to be right of nine green it's going to be crowded but but if you can get there i think that's great all right yeah I, i i hope that gives people some ideas about what to do uh, when they're going to Augusta National, whether it's for the first time or um, if they've been lucky enough to uh, go multiple times. I think some of these recommendations can can fit for for people who have actually been to the Masters before. Uh, so thank you so much to to you three for sitting down and, and going through some of that stuff. Now to cap things off, Michael, I'm not sure if you were intending to share this on the air, but before we started recording, you had kind of a fun master's fact of the day type uh, thing that you were talking about. Can we give that just to uh, just to send people out on a high note? Uh, he probably doesn't remember. What he was it, it was, well, it was about top the These guys are going to know the one. I think, well, they are, they're going to guess it. So I'm going to give him a different one. I'm going to give him okay. a different one. Uh, the, who's the first? Give the top By the way, in case people don't know, Michael is the uh the curator i guess of masters facts of the day going back a couple of years on, on the shotgun start podcast he has a, a bunch of Thanks, these kinds Garrett, of things it's nice it's nice for my genius to finally be recognized uh and it, it's a tough room okay so the previous question was which which uh person has the most top 10 finishes in professional majors without winning a professional major and the answer was ed dudley the first uh, the first head professional at Augusta National. I think he had 27. But now I'm going to give you guys a different one because you guys already heard that one. So here's the different one. Who was the first professional golfer to finish in the top 10 in all four majors in the same year? Who was the first one? Oh, wow. In all four majors? So do you mean all four modern majors? All four modern majors, top 10, same year. Ricky, 24, uh, <laughs> Ricky 2014. No. <laughs> so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with... Uh, I'm going to go with... Uh, J.H. Taylor. <laughs> that would have been pre-modern major. <laughs> like, it's, a, it's a trick question. The answer again is a trick question. The answer again is Ed Dudley, <laughs> the first head pro at Augusta National. Most majors without winning one, 
First guy to finish in the top ten in all well, four. I, I was, Ed Dudley, I heck was, of a, he was, was a heck of a golfer. I was nobody knows who Ed Dudley old, is. The old four majors. Ed Dudley could play. The Masters was a major. Yeah, and I think we used this one last year. But <laughs> another one more fun fact before we go major, about what about did hold he on, Ed Dudley. Did, he did, did Ed Dudley finish in the top ten of the Western Open? Um, is it not a major? Check, it was a major. No, check check Bobby Jones's qualifying criteria for the Masters. There's no Western exemption in there. All right, I, I, we're going to finish the last bullet in the Ed, in the, uh, Ed Dudley chamber. He didn't get paid by Augusta National. When he was the professional there, they didn't pay him, but he had he got the proceeds from the merchandise. <laughs> oh, wow. How about that? Now, that would have yeah, been that's very valuable today. He didn't draw salary. He did not draw salary. The first pro at Augusta National did not draw salary, but he owned the rights to, to all the merchandise that was sold. I'm guessing that was a, a short-term deal. Uh, how much? How much would somebody make if they got all the proceeds from the merchandise today? <laughs> I I don't know. That would be, uh, well. If Brendan was in charge, he would dissuade people from going in there. So you know, he would say, "Don't go, don't go into the merch set. This is a once your once in a life one merch wreck." I have. I truly believe in this. This is somebody that visits a lot of a lot of pro shops. You know, visits a lot of courses. Do not uh, you get a hat, get a shirt, whatever you want. But I recommend buying something that is going to have utility and durability for a long time. I have a coffee tumbler, a like one of those, like almost, it, I don't know if it's Yeti, who knows, that a lot of them are white labeled in there. But I have effectively like a 23 ounce coffee uh, Yeti that I have used since 2019, and I use it regularly, and it brings me great joy. And... You know, the hat, I don't have the hat that I bought. And that's what I would say is that buying something like you're going to the Masters, you don't know when you're ever coming back. Buy stuff that has lasting power. And, and buy something that is not easy to lose. But yeah, you want to hang on to your nice stuff that you get at the merch tent. All right. Thank you, Garrett. I'm, I'm ending this podcast. I'm, the, I'm not the host, but I'm deciding that this that's is fine. Over. You're, 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 you're putting a hard stop. You guys need to go to dinner. Thank you so much. This episode of the Fried Egg Podcast was edited by Meg Atkins. If you'd like more coverage of the Masters and Augusta National, we have lots of stuff on thefriedegg.com. In fact, we have a Masters Hub where you'll find articles and podcasts on a variety of subjects related to Augusta National and the tournament. I'll put a link to the Masters Hub in the show notes, so check that out. And thanks for listening. Thank you.